Genre Stop, the podcast where we read and review genre fiction. Welcome to the second episode. You're here with Bree, a lover of all things fantastical, and me, Scott, a skeptic of all things speculative. Today we read Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Um, in this book, Anne Leckie's 2013 sci-fi novel tells the tale of Breck. That's B-R-E-Q. So Breck, I guess. Um, it tells this tale in two parts, both before and after a tragic event that set her off in search of revenge. Breck, you see, is a spaceship. Or she was a spaceship, I guess. In the chronologically earliest parts of our narrative, Breck, the humanoidish soldier, is but a single component of the larger hive mind that makes up the spaceship Justice of Torin. After a devastating attack upon the Justice of Torin, however, Breck is all that's left. As Breck's quest for revenge progresses, she must grapple with some unreliable allies, a stubborn bunch of colonial agitators, and some tricky grammatical issues related to gender pronouns. And I'm sure we're going to get into all of that uh, soon enough. So we chose this one coming from Dragonflight. We thought, let's get a little more contemporary. Mm-hmm. And by looking around some stuff, this apparently this has... like a year or two ago. I think so. I mean, it swept the major science fiction awards, it looks like. As I see here reading it, it's a Nebula Award winner for 2014. That's so it's as new as new gets. Mm-hmm. So this is apparently the state of the field. But whatever we're getting is not Dragonflight. It is... We read Dragonflight and not knowing I mean, a lot. it's science fiction, not fantasy, for one. Right. Although, Dragonflight was set on a different planet. I did think in the prologue to Dragonflight that they were blending fantasy and science fiction in an interesting way, but everything after that was fantasy. Right, right. Okay. I'll read the back of Ancillary Justice. On a remote, icy planet, the soldier known as Breck is drawing closer to completing her quest. Breck is both more than she seems and less than she was. Years ago, she was the Justice of Torin, a colossal starship with an AI... Artificial intelligence. That stands for ancillary intelligence. <laughs> okay, artificial intelligence. Making th- thousands of corpse soldiers in the service of the Rock, the empire conquered the, ga- the empire that conquered the galaxy. An act of treachery has ripped it all away, leaving her with one fragile human body and only one purpose, to revenge herself on Anander Minai, many-bodied, near-immortal Lord of the Rock. I mean, I think maybe the best place to start with how are you pronouncing these names in your head as you went along? The whole oh, time? okay, I like that. Um, Breck, we agree on Breck. Breck, straightforward. There we go. I said, Anander, Minai. Mm, nice. I went with Anander, <laughs> Miana, I. Let me see. Oh yes. Now that I look at it closely, it is Miana I. Miana I. Anander, Miana I. Anander Miana I. I like that. I, I guess. I don't know. It's do you? I mean, how do you feel it. about... No, no, no. I like that pronunciation, but I'm saying I like that name. It seemed whatever. I mean, I if anything, I appreciated the double A's consistency and... Oh, also... But it's also doing that thing where it's taking a name we have, Alexander, and it's just, you know, tweaking it a little bit. It is taking... Because, like, everyone knows someone named Miana I. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> A little twist on, like, yeah. your regular okay, old Miana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean. I, I, di- I said Roch. Roch? Oh, I was definitely doing that. Rock. 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 How did you feel about the rrr? 
The rrr. Well, we can, we can get into the rrr. It reminded me of 30 Rock. The rrr. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, anyway, so I guess we're, All two right, for, so we're two for two in needlessly weird names. But whatever, names are stupid. I No, I actually disagree. I did not think these names were needlessly weird. I thought they were close enough to be human names in a few thousand years. Okay, that, that assumes something else. So we don't have... There wasn't any hint made to the fact that this has any connection necessarily to Earth. They do mention there humans. Was. There was. What was it? I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I think it was page 188 or 288. Oh, Jesus. Um, page numbers. Because I was really excited by that when they finally did that. Um, they talked about, uh, yeah, that there were sort of myths surrounding early humanity. It was page 184. Oh, yeah. I really liked that part, too, but I think... And I liked it because it was just like... You know, theories we have about dinosaurs or Stonehenge. They were saying, you know, we have this distant thing, and because Breck is a computer, or not a computer, but because it's a starship, uh, it, or I guess I should start saying she, and uh, we can talk yes. more about that. Um, she sort of has knowledge of it that she doesn't give us, which I like how withholding it was. She said, in fact, the planet we originated um, from is very, very, very far away, which for an AI to say very, very, very. We know it's very, very, very far away. Mm -hmm. And that we don't know. Maybe there was, um, what it says, like, maybe there was some sort of uh, climactic event or, you know, something happened. People don't really know. And I liked that. The way that, you know, our whole existence here had been sort of, like, flippantly mentioned and mythologized and whatever. Who knows? It's a pretty good point. It's a pretty good point. So there's, those parts in the book were few and far between. Not that this, I'm saying this is bad, but those are the kind of things that I that I like when I say deep history or like you know awe inspiring. Like those the smallest sides about like what's happening here has a lot going on behind it. So I I really like that part as well because that came in the context um, also of just talking about these bridges, these ice bridges on mm, this planet yeah. that they don't understand who made or when they made them. Or how they made them. Mm -hmm. I appreciated that. I was there. I thought that was okay. However, while maybe this isn't history, I'm already getting the sense I liked the book more than you. But while this isn't exactly history, there were a lot of things that I think would fall into the category of what you were talking about earlier. Just like um, little interesting, maybe that's not what you were talking about, little interesting cultural world building things. I liked the glove thing. Mm. How they all wore gloves and how that was like a note of being civilized. I like that moment when they talked about how sort of erotic playing stringed instruments is mm-hmm. because you have to take your gloves off and an exposed hand is, you know, kind of a big deal. Right. I liked point. also the little the little language uh, kind of jokes. Like when there was like the word for, rod, I mean, now I have to say all these words out loud. Radkai, Rachai, what do you call that race? Rachai. That, that nationality, Rachai. All right. The word for rachai actually meant civilized. So there was that joke about saying like, well, you're not civilized unless you're rachai because linguistically you're saying you're not civilized unless you're civilized in that language. Yes. yes. So I liked that. And I'm not sure I'm going to say I liked it, but in terms of its language games, the gender thing was big. So you should maybe give a little... It's okay. Do you want to tackle the gender thing now? Because that seems to be... You deal with it from page one on. Well, so course. I think we should tackle it now. Okay. Maybe give a little more background, because the, the back's kind of vague. What this is, is Breck. One-time spaceship. Still a spaceship. I mean, who even knows? How, how do you start with that? 
Well, I actually liked how they backset it more than she seems, less than she was. Maybe there's no need then to go into it more. People know yeah, they don't. Basically, there are spaceships. Uh, these spaceships are artificial intelligence, but they can also animate, when hooked up in a certain way, a human body that has been suspended in a frozen state for possibly thousands of years. They take over that body. We see it happened once, and I thought that was kind of disturbing. That was dis- I, I think I had that marked down as an effective passage. One yes. Of those. Yeah. They take over the body, and then they animate the body. And there are... Um, and this is another thing I think she did well, demonstrating how the narrator can inhabit many different forms and bodies at once. That's good. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit, because I think that was a major part that made maybe the way in which this sci-fi tale, and it seemed... Otherwise, I'd imagine the major conflict, probably pretty conventional for... Very conventional, yes. Yeah, very conventional for, like, a space opera, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, my um, copy of the book has Justice Will Come to the Empire right, written exactly. across the top. I mean, it's, it's a very straightforward... Right. Yeah. So then, then the way in to think about this as doing something different or maybe what garners all these awards is through that what you just said there with how she writes the fact that this that Brett can inhabit all these different places at the same time, and how that's built into the narrative, which I thought was interesting. But maybe the big thing is the gender. And Wait, first, we before we... One more moment before the gender. Okay. Because the gender's so big, and right. I have a lot of different feelings about it. Same here. I thought she blends seamlessly the passages in which Breck is in eight different bodies at once. Mm. It'll... You know, like, it'll say, I was standing on the patio uh, watching the children play. And then the next paragraph will say, I was, you know, during this, I was looking at Lieutenant On, watching her sit on the bed. And it's nice, too, because she doesn't telegraph it too much, right? Yes, it really, that's what I mean. It really is one paragraph to the next without, like, any sort of sentence prefacing this and letting you know as a reader that you're in a different spot. You just have to assume, like, through the context that this is... A different body in a different place. And I wasn't confused at all. No, no, definitely not, okay. no. But I think then it does work especially well. It helps kind of amp up the tension when she does that with scenes. There's the one spot I'm thinking, one ask the main ancillary. To the story, not to her exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Um, starts to, because he, she. She, we gotta say she for all of fuck, this. I okay. mean, so I'm already, I'm already justifying her ploy there. Um, <laughs> The main ancillary, because she is hooked into the whole thing, knows what's happening with Lieutenant On and starts to kind of freak out. Mm-hmm. And so you see this thing where the tension's getting ramped up with Lieutenant On in this room, but somewhere else we see another one of the ancillaries acting strange because they realize what's happening to this lieutenant that they really care about. That was well done. Yes. Like in, you know... Thousands of miles away, she was serving dinner <clears throat> up in the spaceship, and she... I think... Okay. Or, yeah, yeah, They were all in the spaceship at that point. Remember, because okay, they yeah, went back okay, to the, the planet. Right. But, yeah. All right, so I thought that was well done, is what I I'm saying. Was, I felt... At times, I thought it was less well done. Or at least I felt... I mean, this is a bigger thing, because it gets into the same... The big conceit. I felt like the spots at which we start to learn about Anander's split personality. Do you remember mm. when she comes onto the ship, and... Um, Breck notices that there, that there are three Ananders on the ship that are coming on, and we realize that gradually that they each have different missions that are in opposition to each other. I was confused. Okay, here's a separate thing. Uh, when I say I think it was well done, I am talking about Justice of Torin, one X. Right, Breck. right, right. 
we will talk about Anander in a minute. Let's do the gender thing and then talk about Anander because okay, I good. had a lot of I, I also had a lot of problems with Anander. I'm glad to hear that. So okay. did I. Yes. All right. Um, the gender thing. Uh, let's just lay it out there. This entire book, I mean, it's almost uh, uses female pronouns. And in the beginning, you learn that. And and in a nice way, right off the bat, she's not hiding it. No. It almost like too straightforward. In the very first page, it says, "This is why she's saying she." This is because of the language, right? There's no gender markers in Rod Chai. It didn't feel too expository to me, though, actually, because think... there, there was a plot point that needed it. She was on a foreign planet outside of Rod Chai. Rod Chai does not use gendered pronouns. It was a planet outside of that empire, and they did use gender pronouns, and it was very important that she didn't give herself away as being an AI, a computer, basically. Right. Because it seems that though Rachai language doesn't use gender, the Rachai humans can distinguish gender right. from the same cues we would distinguish it from. They can? Yes. In non-Rachai. I feel like, let's say, basically, Rachai says it for everything. Well, They uh, still know. I mean, it's not like they're confused if they're about to sleep with a man or a woman until they get in bed. <laughs> I know that Lieutenant On was a woman, for instance, and I know that that man she was sleeping with Sky was Sky it. Sky. <laughs> Sky. Sky it. I'm actually calling you Sky. Okay, so he, so you you just hit on two of my main points, and I, obviously this is subjective, but two of the things that hung me up. One, the big one. Okay, fine, I just say it. So presumably, in the world of this book, this book was written, because it's in first person, Breck. It's written in Rad Chai and translated into English, right? If you have a language that doesn't mark gender, and then you translate that language into English, you would use it. Okay. You would not use she. I agree with you if I'm to understand this book as being, since it's written in first person, translated from Rajai. Well, not even that, but I'm saying the, the explanation she gives is that Rajai does not mark gender. Right. She doesn't say Rajai marks everything female. That's true. Okay, that's a good point. But at the same time, I think knowing that her reader, Anne Lucky, I mean, is a human being. Does she? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A human being and whoever Anand, Anander has out there to, like, you know, check the media, see who's writing who's right. against him, execute right. them. Um, I'm glad you brought up that about Anander. I have some thoughts about Anander, too. I have too. some thoughts about him, too. <laughs> right. It, him? It. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she. Okay, and <laughs> she. I feel that it was intentionally annoying. Was always... Wait, okay, wait. Are you talking about... I'm talking about as a, a writerly thing. Using this, as, okay, a, okay. as a writerly device. Sure, sure. Uh, I felt like it was intentionally aver- uh, aggravating the reader mm-hmm. and that it worked in that it constantly reinforced the notion that I was not inside a human brain. Okay, we read it very differently then. As okay. for what a human author in 2014 is doing with it. Well, okay, you've said 2014 twice now, so I do want to say... What, what should I say? No, I... <laughs> <laughs> No, all I want to say is, if we're talking about in, today's... In Rad Chai time? <laughs> or Shisorna time? No, I just mean, one thing that I wanted to move away from, though obviously I'm not a liberal person, I don't know how to Oh, what? Was if... So you are for Ananda's reforms. <laughs> <laughs> or are I you... know. All I'm saying is, uh, obviously, like, trans- transgender issues have just recently come to the forefront of, like, a you know, public discourse. Having a transgender moment. Right. Having a transgender moment in society. Yes. And if 
Anne Leckie was trying to put out a transgender message. Wish you would ever try and put out. <laughs> Wait till after the podcast. There we go. Um, but if she was, then I don't like thinking of that as a, um, an, you know, political identity message. And I'm not, and I wasn't sure that it wasn't, really. I don't, and I kept feeling like, wait, is this supposed to enforce for me that gender isn't important? This is interesting. Okay, we read it 100% different. Okay. Transgender issues did not come to my head that often. They came to my head within the first two pages. Of course they should. I mean, they're there in the way in which she describes the Rodchai. But through the language, what it did was a very, I thought, feminist thing. I, I really, okay, this is where we think about my off and on feelings. I appreciated what it did to me as a reader, partially because of that thing with the it. I feel like it doesn't warrant it, right? If you have a language that doesn't mark gender, you say it, you don't say she. Okay. Um, I actually okay, also had me, a practical concern that's different than that. Okay, but. well then anyway, let me say what, yeah. what I did like about it. I didn't get anything transgender with that. What I got was that for you know whatever purpose a writer has outside of the story itself to do this. What it did to me and made me keep doing, and I think partially... I read it as partially what she's doing it for, is that all of these maybe science, you know, heroic tropes in your head you want to color as male. And by saying she, you're continually forced to check your own assumptions because you you gender them male sometimes. And I, I don't want to say you as in give you my own hang-ups. But because you're reading a narrative and you, you don't pay attention to pronouns that much, but you take them in... You imbibe them the less, therefore you people the world in your head with whatever you're given. And therefore, if you don't even think about it, you look up 100 pages in and you're like, everyone in here is a woman. Mm-hmm. And that does something interesting because the captain's a woman, the soldier's a woman, the spaceship's a woman, everything's a woman. If you try and dig in and find the clues and stuff, you can say, okay, this person's a woman and this person's not a woman. But I think it worked because what it did is just you know, once you, because she doesn't bring it up that much. And then for the reader, they've now completely populated a science fiction world in their head with women. And that's what she was doing. All right. I think that's interesting. I, I love that reading, actually, of it. It's not the one I had. The only, I would say, um, feminist feeling that I had about it was she was sort of arbitrarily picking one gender to stick with the whole time, and she chose women. And for a second, I was like, wait, is that, you know, she's choosing women because she wants to do that? And then I was like, or maybe she's doing that slightly, but maybe she just doesn't want to choose a male because, yeah, so often things are written in, you know, even if I'm reading like an old text and it says, you know, like every man knows, I automatically know in my head that it means every person knows. Right. Um, And so she was just picking women, like the female gender pronoun, just to say like, okay, you know. Like, or we could do this one because it's 50-50 because we don't recognize gender. So I, I do think that it wasn't the reading I had. I, so I don't, I liked it. It so explain reading. to me where but you get also, your transgender reading. Well, okay, first of all, with your feminist reading, and this is part of my bias as a reader, especially when I read genre fiction, I like to read things with female protagonists. Right. I'm more interested in them personally because um, I'm really sexist. Right. <laughs> but... Uh, so my personal feeling with genre fiction is not at all, when you think of these tropes, you think of them as being male. I don't. If I think of a hero, I, I actually think of her as being female because most of the genre fiction I've read and I've sought out just mm. for me, they've been women. 
there's a blind spot for you. Well, but I understand if you mean the society socially, right. but I also think that, and obviously not, you know, we mentioned Heinlein, like not old science fiction, but I actually think genre fantasy and sci-fi is a place where like women have a voice and a lot of female writers have an audience right. and there are a lot of female fans. I would argue that it's uh, much more, much more equal or the, yeah, in terms of gender than say literary fiction. So, so you're saying that because it is equal, it's not important for her to make a feminist No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about why I, I'm actually just talking about when you said, because when people think of like a hero in a sci-fi thing, they think of him as being a man. Right. Okay. I'm just talking about why that's not true at all for me. Sure. Understandable. But even if I didn't have those tropes in my head or those assumptions, she has still nonetheless peopled her book with only female characters. I guess the... When I thought, okay, she chose the female pronoun, but she hasn't peopled them with female characters. She hasn't, but she never... She's peopled, she's calling every, she's using a female pronoun for everyone, but she does say that certain people are male. One of the main characters is definitely a man. So here's the problem with me. Sivarden, how do you say his name? Sivarden. <laughs> Venda I. Yeah. yeah. Right, so here's, okay, so then this was another thought that I had, and I wrote this down at one point just because I, I felt like it. To me, kind of what was implied in that as well is that I'm going to play a game with you. I'm going to call everyone she and drop hints. And you can, if you pay attention, figure out who's a man and who's a woman. And 60 pages in, I did not give a shit. I didn't want to play that game. I didn't care. Okay. Um, I played the game the whole time. You did. Okay. So I kind of gave up. And I didn't. And I just thought that uh, ultimately that's not interesting to me. And I'm not here to like. I agree. And that's a problem I had with it. I played that game the whole time. Right. Uh, if she was trying to send a transgender message, which was my I'm still, reading, I'm still ready for your transgender message. I, if she chooses one specifically gendered pronoun, how's it a transgender message? Because the pronoun is completely arbitrary in the book. It does the pronoun does not indicate gender because gender isn't significant. It's it's just not in the book, and it very much becomes about like all the people in the book, other than spaceships, are humans, and. You know, sometimes it'll indicate that characters have had sex with, sex with each other or are having sex in these clientage relationships. Maybe they're male, maybe they're female. It doesn't matter. That's just talking about their different parts. Right. She even says, like, you know, the computer or Brett can't tell if people are male or female because their facial features read kind of the same to her and their bodies are covered in clothes so she can't see their genitals. Right. So I think it's transgender. I felt a transgender thing from it or why I had that, which was only one reading that I actually kind of dismissed quickly. But because the book seemed to be saying gender is insignificant and what you're talking about when we frequently, when people will use he or she, is just genitals and biology. Right. Okay. I mean, I kind of... So that's why I felt that way. I agree. And I kind of back your reading, but in a different way than you're describing it. Not through the pronouns, but through her actual description of what the Rajai looked like and did. Because to her, they all wore different... There was no markers, gender markers in hair or clothing or dress or action or gait. The primary gender passage I marked, and again, this is where she's just, she addresses it pretty straightforward. I saw them all suddenly for just a moment through non-Radchai eyes. So this seemed like a pretty clear one. Mm -hmm. She's back on whatever station this is, mm -hmm. and she's walking around, and this is one, she's so used to being around the Radchai. Right, and she's saying... This is what it would look like to me if I wasn't used to this. 
And she says, I saw them all through non-Radshire eyes. An eddying crowd of unnervingly, ambiguously gendered people. I saw all the features that would mark gender for non-Radshire, never to my annoyance and inconvenience, the same way in each place. Short hair long, worn unbound, thick-bodied within, faces, delicate featured, of course, with cosmetics or none, a profusion of colors that would have been gender-marked in other places. All of this matched randomly with bodies curving at breast and hip, or not, bodies that one moment moved in various non-rad, in ways various non-rad chai would call feminine, the next masculine. Twenty years of habit overtook me, and for an instant I despaired of choosing the right pronouns, the right terms of address, but I didn't need to do that here. I could drop that worry, a small but annoying weight I had carried all this time I was home. So this made the language thing important, because the language was different from the presentation of just body. So these are ambiguously gendered people, but by doing this all in she, she is gendering them. So it seemed at cross-purposes with what she wanted to do. Okay, right? that so makes I felt sense. Like it it's, been, it's not my reading, right. but so, it makes but sense. So because she did that, that's why I thought like her primary motivation was to do that feminist reading, which is like, like fuck it, I'm just going to use she for every one of these people and put that in people's head. Okay, I think there was something feminist about that, but I thought it was more... I thought her point was less that, hey, women can be all of these roles, and more that gender is not important. But then, again, it goes back to the language thing. And why use she? There's a very simple way that is available to English speakers to not indicate gender, and it's it. Every time it says she, That's it's That's a it. good point. It's a good point. But I thought she used she to jar the reader. Because it would have been very easy to read this book for me if she used it. Yeah, definitely. Not that it was a difficult book, but the fact, like that been used, the fact that she used she made me constantly, like... So how did... For, for instance, I, we know, because she said, that Savardin is a man. Right, right. And all of his dialogue tags are she. Right. So that, that there's a dissonance there that causes me to feel like I am inside a different kind of brain. And that's what I'm talking about in building, in making me feel, which is something I want. If a book is told from the point of view of a spaceship, I don't want to feel like I'm in a human being's head. <laughs> right. Well. And that made me feel like I couldn't because, and here's what I'm saying, the rat child can distinguish male or female. And we know that because right when she opens the book, when she's so scared, <laughs> or not scared, right, but right. of people finding out that she can't gender people correctly, she's not worried that people will think she's Rat Chai because they already think she's Rat Chai. They say right. that just from her accent. Right. She's worried that people will know that she's a corpse soldier and a computer. Right, right. I guess I missed that. I thought that... I guess, yeah, Rat Chai can't. So I think that's not saying, like, look how different the Rat Chai are. That's saying, like, I'm a computer alien. And, like, I don't right. care about your human genders. Right. And I agree. But now here was my practical concern with it. Mine was different than yours. She, these computers seem, or I keep calling them computers. I don't know why. This yeah. spaceship. She's right. not a computer. Right. This spaceship seems capable of like a lot of taking in a lot of information and drawing com complex right. conclusions and, exactly and all of that. Say, so why can't she figure out if they're male or female? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I completely right. agree. What happens is you go up to someone and say. She told me, and they go, no, 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 it's a he. She goes, okay, he told me. <laughs> right, right. There's the 40 times where that happens, and then she just keeps saying I mean, she. I almost feel like this spaceship would be better at determining gender from, I don't know. I mean, she knows how many how many heartbeats a person is having right. a second. Right. She's so intimately involved with their animal cells. Well, then this is where I kind of went back to your reading, but 
but not through the language, but through the presentation of the people, is that maybe the Radchai actually are ambiguously gendered. And she can't really tell about gender because like, the Radchai don't have any actual sexual distinctions, but, biologically. And I'm sure they do, but when I mean, she I got really... the feeling that the Radchai slept with whoever they wanted and that gender wasn't obviously a significant part of their identity, but I did get the feeling, just from that thing that I just discussed, that a Radchai citizen person... Right. could tell if someone's male or female. Yes. But, all right, so that was my concern with it. Also, like you, uh, at some point I did, I actually went through waves. I would become bothered about the pronoun thing because I just wanted to read the fucking story. Okay. You know, and I wanted to stop having to consider if this person's male or female, which maybe the larger point is like, hey, Bree, you don't have to consider that. Just read the book. But I could never get there just being me. So that's what I'm saying. So you kind of... That's where my reading's coming from, because she's almost taking it for granted that 100 pages in, people are going to stop trying and just read the book, and therefore, they're going to take the pronoun for granted, and therefore, their head is going to make everyone female. Because yes, we know Saivarden's a man, but he's one of a lot of characters, and eventually, I didn't, I didn't try and think anymore about, you know, some of these other people that we come across, like, what are they? I, I was like, okay, they're all female to me, which is great. I, I like that. I like that she made me, through this kind of device, have a whole book with just women. Okay, that's interesting. If if that had happened for me, I would feel that way. Right. But I thought the gender thing was discussed enough that it never became unimportant to me. I think you're right. I think I think so. Throughout the book, it would come up. The pronoun, confusion, etc. I mean, and, and she would let you know throughout the book if someone was male. Right. Occasionally. So, I mean, totally. And admittedly, we've given it 45 more minutes than she has in the whole book, right? This is a big yes. thing that the book doesn't pay a lot of attention to. So Alright, so we should leave that behind. Right. We'll move we'll leave the gender behind for now. So we talk a lot about gender. But I think actually interestingly, for as much as we talked about it, that's actually not a main theme that she's hitting on, right? I feel like she's actually more interested in a couple other things. Yes, no, I think that's a, a big device. Yes. That's why we talked about it for so long. Right. Because it, it hangs you up. But what's, what's more important, I think, is that it's actually really brave of her at this like day and age to write such an anti-Kef screed, you know? <laughs> like, the whole thing, you know? Like, she's going to now publish such a thing, like, with all the Kef marches, and it's pretty impressive. I don't know. Yeah. No, no, no totally. Like... Like, you need to feel. Like, Kef takes away your feelings. Kef takes away your feelings. All right, so Kef is the drug in the book. Kef's the drug in the book. Well, actually, yeah. I do this thing, and this is just something that... I, whenever I'm reading, like, a sci-fi book, and they reference some drug that they have in the future, it immediately becomes Soma to me. Because, mm. as we were talking about formative ages, Brave New World, formative age. Right, And right. that was like, whoa, like... Sci-fi books can have crazy made-up drugs. Right, right. So I'm just like, okay, I get it so much. It's a weird thing people do with drugs and books, especially like books like this, is that like the whole thing with, what was it, Seifarden kept saying like, no, I need to address like why I started doing this. <laughs> and like, they won't let me get off it until I tell them why. It's never that like the drug good. Right, like it was so fun. Oh, yeah. So, like, so, so Martin just kept doing it because it was a great time. Right, it's always like, my ship is destroyed. Yeah. And I actually thought his, that, I thought the actual reasoning that the book really stood behind was kind of bullshit. What? Reasoning for what? Or like, society's changed, it doesn't feel right. For why he would do it? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And the book did emphasize, I totally agree with you, like, why is he doing it? Right, right. 
So I guess we can talk about some other things. All right, so you mentioned that gender wasn't a big theme of the book, so right. not to be too literary podcasty, but what did you consider well, this? Is, okay, I mean, we haven't really said what we thought about the book. No, yeah, just yeah. tell me. Did you like the book? Let me know. I don't think I really liked it. Okay. Um, okay, I mean, the theme that it obviously is doing is identity, mm-hmm. right? Or is it not? I think the theme, the most complex theme that it does is identity. I think on a different level, it also talks about power and imperialism. I guess so, yeah. And, like, the effects of Yeah, I mean, I think... On not only, like, the people who are colonized, but on, like, the people who do the colonizing. Right. That's there. I mean, they it's, seem... She doesn't do much with that, but that's no. definitely there. They both seem milquetoast because, yeah, they might be complex themes, but they're not handled very complexly. The identity... Maybe if... Maybe they would be more complex if I understood what happened with Anander more. Oh, well, God. Anander. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, identity. Yes, all right. So, for instance, I totally agree with you. I did figure out what I felt like was the key passage of the book. Oh, okay. It's the first... It's... I thought of the whole book, she most clearly addressed the reader during this section. Right, and said, don't do Kef. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. Don't do Kef, and you're a woman. Um... It says, or is anyone's identity a matter of fragments held together by convenient or useful narrative that in ordinary circumstances never reveals itself as a fiction? I mean, okay, so here's maybe an expectation of genre. And I remember reading that exact section, and that seemed like a big one. But the thought behind it seemed so elementary. Yes, people have talked about how the narratives they make of their lives are fictions. And, like, people, like, obviously... But, like, that was her big, like, here's my theme. Or is anyone's identity a matter of fragments held together by convenient or useful narrative? Like, yes, look at any 20-year-old's fucking diary, and you're going to get something similar. Oh, cutting. I mean, right? I, I read that and felt like, yes, of course. Um, I agree in a way. Okay, look, I didn't... First, let me just say generally before I address this. I enjoyed this book. It kept me reading. I won't read the next one in the series. Right, um, the series. Yeah. I didn't... I, I didn't love it. I wasn't taken away. Um, I felt like it was a little gimmicky. At mm-hmm. the end, I felt like there were a lot of gimmicks. Right, right. I also felt like the main character, Breck, is, was not very interesting to me. No. Maybe the justice of Torin when Breck right. was a spaceship was interesting. Right. But Breck being in a body, being angry about authority, is not something I'm, I really get behind. No. However... Sometimes I like this about genre fiction, and I'm not sure if you do. I like taking like a metaphor, or in this case, like a simile, even, and <laughs> how. And, and in other cases, an analogy. And making it material, making it real, and then the fact that it's real, letting that induce more emotional resonance in the reader. Basically, for instance, I'm saying like this: yeah. um, human beings. I'm a human. I don't even know my identity. I'm like I'm I'm like a person in many different bodies. Mm-hmm. I am many different selves. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm a woman and sometimes I'm a man and sometimes I'm nice and sometimes I'm mean. Right. Okay, you could say that and I'd be like, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah. But in this book I did get the sense that this character, not as Breck, but as the Justice of Torin, was many different selves. And it meant something more serious to me when she lost the other parts of herself. When she lost her spaceship. Mm-hmm. Because I did believe that the character had a thousand bodies. Mm-hmm. 
and the spaceship was the main one. Right, right. That's a good point. So in that sense, I like, but this in itself is kind of a gimmick that the genre does a lot, but that I enjoy and that resonates with me, is that I like then thinking about my own human identity and the way that it's fragmented and thinking, okay, but that metaphor resonates with me more now because I've spent 200, 300 pages <laughs> inside the head of a spaceship with many bodies. Right. And I know that's silly, but it does. It's like it, it's it doesn't bring. It's not a new thought, but I feel it more. That's true. I think you might be giving her more credit for differentiating between the different ancillaries. I felt mm-hmm. I didn't feel a sense of loss, other than what I gave it myself when she, you know. Except what you talked about. Maybe I didn't feel the sense of loss that I should, or the sense of grief. Although I did like the one line in the end when she was talking to Anander, and Anander said. Like, oh, you're, you're either an Andre or Savardin or someone said, like, oh, you're just one of those spaceships that's gone mad with grief after right. losing his captain. And she said, I haven't been mad with grief for at least 10 years. Right. That was funny. Okay. Yeah, was there good. was some humor in the book that I enjoyed. There was. Um, so I am giving her too much credit. I actually agree with you on that. But I'm saying that's what I think she was trying to do, and I don't think she was entirely unsuccessful. That's a good way to put it. Not too charitable, but I think you're right. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's what she was trying to do. I mean, more of like just almost a pedantic way of thinking about it, if this is dealing with identity, that it seems a big thing would be that these ancillaries were people. Mm -hmm. So she's inhabiting a person's body. And you never get, like, these are actual, like, people. Mm -hmm. And you think that would come into play on, like, how this shapes this person's identity, that now Breck is, like embodied only in this person who was a person before and I thought I'd get more backstory on like does anything it seems like when that chilling scene you noted at the beginning I thought was actually really effective was when they were uploading the AI's consciousness into one of the ancillary's bodies and it was completely panicked and it was panicked and she used terror a couple times in a nice way like you got a sense of like this even if it's been frozen for a thousand years is terrified and panicked and then it goes away and so I thought, like, there is a little bit of the prior consciousness remaining in there. Mm-hmm. And that's going to have something to say about how this ancillary's identity works or something about it. I mean, you know, you saw throughout that what distinguished one esque from the other ones was that it had a love of music. And I liked that. That was nice. It kind of refrained throughout. I liked going back to that. I actually thought it was my favorite passage of the whole book was when she was Breck was on, and I don't know how much this was intentional or not, because a lot of the even climax of the book had, like, a decidedly, like, anticlimactic tone, or, like, was said in a really, written in a really wry, straightforward it became, tone. It, did, it became very nice. But, like, you think, like, this is her big, she's about to go confront Anander, and, like, there's this little scene where she listens to an opera in her room before, mm-hmm. and, like, really likes it. I like that. That was your favorite scene? That was my favorite scene in the whole book. Because <laughs> it seemed like that's Who where, are you? I don't know. But that seemed like that's where it's been building for 300 pages. Apparently she's been looking for 20 years. I mean, the plot has a lot of uh, kind of things in it. Um, but, like, she's been doing this for 20 years and finally has this gun. I can't believe it's an actual gun. That, like, she has to go get, like, the magic gun <laughs> from this person who then disappears. But anyway, so she has it about to build the thing and like, okay, well, I guess I have to wait around a little bit because we don't have an audience yet with Anander. And so I'm going to watch this opera. I like that. But anyway, so how much of that maybe came from the ancillary, from the person or not? 
it seemed to be never addressed that these are actual people and that that might have something to say about how this split identity functions. It's interesting, I disagree. Because something I liked about the book was how it kept making very clear, like when the doctor, remember she's with that doctor, right, right. and the doctor keeps trying to talk to the person inside of her, and she's you know saying, like, I can help you with this, like, you can get out of this. And she has, and Breck has this weird moment where she realizes the doctor is trying to address the human body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Breck says clearly, like, that person is dead. The doctor keeps referring, she's the first one we hear the term corpse soldier from. Right. And she keeps referring to her as, like, there's a person inside of her. And that she still knows, has, she was saying exactly what you were saying. The doctor was saying, there's still some of that person in there. Mm-hmm. And Breck was saying, no, that person is dead. That person's gone. I don't, it wasn't one body that liked singing, it was one-esque. And one-esque was like 20 bodies. Right, right, yeah, that's true. So, I I actually didn't, I would understand wanting them to develop that more, uh, the fact that they're using those human bodies. But really, I did, I liked the scene, the creepy scene where the body was possessed, and after that I believed that it was taken over. I guess I did too. But I thought that the point was that the AI themselves had grew separate identities. I, I liked the justification for the AI having emotions. When she said, when Ananda at some point says, no, they need emotions because otherwise they can't decide which data is important right. which isn't. Right. Yeah, okay, so that makes sense. I guess to have my other big concern then about this, I don't know what Rod Chai space looks like. I don't know what this place, the world itself looks like. Okay, so you get these hints of the revolt coming through at Ime. Why that's such a big deal is because one person at one point in thousands of years doesn't do what they're supposed to. In other words, they lie, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a huge deal. And, it's, and you know it's a or huge Or they don't lie. They don't continue or, to lie that they're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they go against an order. And, like, that's a huge deal. And you know it's a huge deal because, like, they didn't, like, revolt, but they did something that's nominally beneficial to the Raj in general. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's still to even people who say, like, oh, yeah, they rooted out corruption. But that's still big because they didn't do what they were supposed to. So if that's such a huge deal, that posits a world in which it's just blanket conformity or a totalitarian state, almost. Mm-hmm. But this whole premise, then, of the book is predicated upon, like, plopping us right down in the middle of a spot where out of 3,000 years of history, the next person that won't do what they're supposed to do is like... So there are two out of a billion planets. But I think the point is anyone who doesn't do what they're supposed to do is killed. They are, but it just doesn't... Like, what is this... Like, what does this world look like if that's what... Or is that just... Or are we just getting a sense of the military? In a really disorienting way, a lot of times, they, like, reference, like, we can't let that that woman who revolted mm-hmm. go to our our space because like people are going to recognize that they there was corruption mm-hmm. and that it's going to be all over the newscasts like i the way this space was set up to me it was really jarring to me hear, to hear that there's like a fucking evening news <laughs> you know like this place seems so stolid and regimented that i don't imagine that space where there's like a public sphere where okay i could see that yeah it seemed yeah. weird to me. But okay. that also being said, this felt like a first book in a series to me. And like she was referencing things that she would develop later. 
I mean, that gets to the bigger thing. And maybe you just haven't gotten into series as much. But here's the reason, by the way, because as I was just thinking that I've, I feel like I've, I've defended the book a lot, so it's unusual that I already said I won't read the second one in the series. And it's because I think what drives me through a series, a fantasy series or a sci-fi series, is um, really enjoying a character. Right. And I didn't enjoy any of these characters very much. No, either did I. I thought their characters were just badly developed, if there was any. I mean, I don't... I didn't... The, the transitions are abrupt, the changes in character. Well, okay, let's maybe talk about the writing in general. I would say it was serviceable. I, I didn't think the writing was bad. I didn't think there was any... There, were no ter- there was no beauty in the writing. No. There was nothing interesting about the writing. It was artless. Writing. But it she, was... She I wasn't mean, trying for that, admittedly. Yeah. The writing drove me crazy. Really? Why? Did you notice, I mean, so many subordinate clauses just clung together. One of those things where she would do a period and then a sentence fragment. Period. And then while he was running away, period. It, I mean, it wasn't Dragonflight-esque. But at points, I just had a trouble getting into this book. There was no fluidity in the reading for me. Like this. Okay, so on page 206, she says, I believe Lieutenant Darriot considers Ahn to be an able officer, and of course she defers to Ahn as decade senior, period, and, comma, perhaps, was secure enough in her own standing not to resent Lieutenant Ahn's having authority over her, period. Unlike Lieutenant Isa, period. But I didn't say that, period. Obviously, and that's something anyone can do, but it's just repeated so much, it doesn't flow well to me. And it was really annoying. Okay, I understand it that. It, a, didn't, it didn't bother me at all. It was just too choppy. Right. I guess being inside the head of a spaceship, there was nothing about the sentences occasionally being choppy in the way that that was. Again, I think you're giving her me. too much credit for, I think... I think maybe you're her, giving her too little. Maybe, but I don't think she really wanted to differentiate a ton. I'm going to write Breck as an alien form with completely different ways. Because primarily the the main thing about distinguishing thing about Breck's language was something that she ultimately said was because uh, she was Rad Chai. Because she spoke like every Rad Chai. No, no, no. Breck made a big point of saying, I am not Rad Chai. I was built by them, but I am not Red Child. Right, but the, but the linguistic tick with the gender, was she said, was because I've grown up around Red Child, so that's how I speak like them. Because they built me and because of their language, not because her familiarity with I know what I'm saying, but that was the most distinctive thing about the... Otherwise, she just seemed like a really kind of cold, determined, less compassionate person. Yeah, I disagree. I thought in a lot of moments there were uh, like authorial successes in terms of making, reminding me that I am not in the human brain. I don't think they were what about, uh, are you linguistic thinking? successes. I don't think the no. language was ever beautiful, but I thought it served its purpose. But more so in the initial parts where she was doing the, the earlier flashback scenes. Then sometimes Breck, when Breck was one among many on oars with Lieutenant Ahn, just being kind of like a servant, a guard, and like out amongst the world, then she seemed... She did seem there to me, very different. Very just straightforward, like, obeying and... I mean, I thought that was the place where we most got the sense that she was a multi-bodied being. Yes, yes. But we haven't talked about this yet, and I think it's important. A problem that I had with this book is something about me rebels against the format of a little bit of a mystery in the future, 
a little bit that solves the mystery in the past. Right, right. A little bit in the future, a little bit that solves, or the present, not the future, I suppose. That's but a true detective formula. But I mean, I feel like that's a formula that's really common. Right. Especially in, in anything with a mystery element. Right. And I feel like there are better ways to build suspense. Oh, totally. Especially when the present plot was, oh, she hates Anander, like, something must be go bad with Anander. And then you could guess, like, okay, Anander's going to fuck her over. And then you're just waiting 200 pages to find out how Anander fucks her over. Or makes her really mad. Totally. And I even remember thinking at some point, like, I hope this isn't just a revenge story. Is this, she's mad at Anander? And, like, we're going to go get him? Let's talk about Anander. Should we? Okay. I don't understand. And I reread some passages a couple times. A couple times. I don't really understand Anander Minai's thing, conflict, problem. I thought it was convoluted. Mm -hmm. I thought it was essential to the climax of the book and yet still unclear. (coughs) Yeah, I mean, it was essential. That's why I thought the passage I picked out that summed everything up for me was on 283 after Breck says, I assume you know what's going on with Anander Chai. So, this is Mm -hmm. speaking to me. Breck says... I assume you know what's going on with Anander Chai, Manai, and Mercy of Kalor slash me says only partially. I find I'm having difficulty saying what I think is happening. <laughs> it was the same thing with me, right? And it's unfortunate that that <laughs> therefore becomes yeah. the most important part of the plot. It's, I know her identity split, but I don't understand which one was acting at which time and for what reasons. Like, that was the big thing in the middle. Like, you eventually realize she's working at odds against each other, and some are pro-reform and some aren't, but I don't know what the fuck reform means and why it matters. But the book kept saying, but of course they're both the same person. And, and I didn't get the sense that they were the same person. No. And do you even know? So like the big main thing, the, the, the massacre on Ors where they kill all the upper city people. Can you even tell me now which Menander did that? I got the sense that was the anti-reform Menander. Because she automatically lied to him and didn't understand I mean, why. but what, was her, what were her reasons in doing that? It didn't have the proper access code, or she just... No, 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 I'm not even saying, like, how did it happen. I'm saying, like, because of their political divisions, what are the reasons that she put guns in the water on this place to have these two cities fight each other? I feel that that was explained at some point, but I still think it was very convoluted. Of course, yeah. I'm sure, like, someone would be like, oh, yeah, here and there. Right here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. That was a bit of a slog. But I thought worse than that was during the climax. Mm. Oh, yes. During the climax, there was so much emphasis on this idea of it being the same person working at odds with each other and you know, what having complicated feelings would do to an identity and how it would destroy the empire. I just kept feeling like, yeah, I, it was vague. And I was confused at those parts, and it took me out of the climax. Right. So all I really had to hold on to in the climax was, uh, will Breck survive? Right, right. And <laughs> it was such a, it was, yeah, such a... Non-climax. Yeah, it or was. It, it, for, like, something that was in the book, literally had, like, universal existential implications, mm-hmm. what I ultimately cared about is, like, oh, is Breck going to get him off the ship? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, totally. oh, they're, they're, like, they're hanging on to the ship. Get him. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> it wasn't... There was no ultimate complexity or, like, emotional connection to the main villain, who I think was supposed to be, as we were talking about in the beginning, sort of like uh, shades of gray, complicating things. I think we were supposed to really feel... Right. Yeah, something about that villain. And I didn't. I just felt like it's what is having some... The villain's having some sort of identity crisis since affecting my protagonist. 
Okay, well then let's even... My overriding thing with this Anander was this is like a huge empire. And apparently... What's this person's relationship to it? At first, like I don't think fucking Anne Leckie knew. Like at first, like this is the person in charge. But then it's like, you know, this is the person that created this empire. Is this a god? Is this someone... Right, but it's not, right? We know that it's, it's the same type of form that Justice of Torin is. And it did make me wonder, I agree, why then is Justice of Torin taking orders from No, 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 I don't think it's the same as Justice of Torin. Remember, there's a one key passage at the end where they said the Raj original space was a really small, insignificant homeland. And they said, which I thought was really interesting, who knows if people still there even realize what another's done this one little place of humans and like here's this one who went out and like conquered the rest of the universe that's interesting i never got that sense i thought anander was it's not a human you thought it wasn't a human oh completely not a human i mean anander uses ancillaries that's for sure they're all they're all genetically identical they're just, clone ancillaries right i just the way i read that was that as like the dictator ruler of raj space she had access to the same technology that the spacious wouldn't just copied her own consciousness. See, I didn't because I felt like Justice of Torin Breck was the only person, other than the spaceship referenced at the end, Mercy of Call or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that really understood how significant it was, this identity crisis that I don't understand that she was having. Right. Because it's something that, like, only these computer spaceships can really understand. Oh, okay, I mean, not to, like... The implication, I thought, was that this identity crisis stemmed from something that the Presker had done. Okay, well, I'll talk about them later because we're talking about problems right now. I'll just say, I love the Presker. I love the Rur. Oh, yeah. I like the, I, I like love the... those genetically mutated humans on that one place. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Who, like, just, like, are like, why not give myself eight arms? Yeah, that was great. That was yeah. great. Or the Presker that were like, I thought that was a nice thing that their presence... Mm-hmm. As someone who were really ruthless and violent, but like had an underlying logic. You don't kill people that you do, you feel this way about. Yeah, and I, I liked how it said, you know, it's hard to translate their concepts into language, but it they're they distinguish it's kind of like insignificant and significant. Right, right. You don't kill significant species randomly. Right. So regardless though, one time Anander gave a little backstory that seemed to say that the split happened after the contact with them and that they found a way to like infiltrate and start changing things and that it was because of the pressure that mm-hmm. she thought that she'd split did I make that yes up? I felt like it was also because of Ime like it was because right of the pressure no 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 pressure in that how they influenced events at Ime in that right. they armed those people but the reason that came out at the end the reason there was corruption at Ime was because that was already the one anti-reform Anander, who was using, she was involved in the corruption because she was using those people to build up a huge ancillary army. That's what mm-hmm. the corruption was. Oh, then I said wrong. I'm sorry. I don't mean Ime, actually. I mean way before that. I mean because of what happened at the place where Savardin comes from. What is that called? Gardine? Oh, yeah. Garcidin. Garcidin. Right. Yeah. That's okay. okay. Because I, of, that's it. Yeah. Because of what happened there. Right. And because the pressure armed those people. Right. And, right. I also liked how all of the ships and computers seemed to agree that, like, yeah, the pressure could kill us. Right. And the humans were all like, I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. I, I thought they were a nice, ominous presence lurking behind everything. Back to the Nandor, my main thing was, okay, this is a huge 
Empire. This is the person in charge of everything. They seem so otherwise inconsequential. Like, this is the person running. Not even running. I really didn't think it was a person. I'm sorry, you keep saying that. I don't understand. Even if, even if Anandra started as a human, Anandra is not a human anymore. It's, it's been around for thousands of years. Okay, correct. Okay, correct. so Anandra's no longer human. So I feel like, yes, this is the consciousness controlling the whole thing. Right. I did, I agree with you. I didn't think that consciousness was big enough or interesting enough or alien enough for me to believe that it was the most powerful force. That's, yeah, in, that in was my main thing. Right, yeah. exactly. What that kind of power should have looked like was so not commensurate with the presentation of Anander, mm-hmm. who otherwise seemed to me like, look at this petty little, like, <laughs> Dennis the Menace, you know? <laughs> like, I don't even, like, that was hard to reconcile with anything else going on in the book. I thought she did a pretty good job. I thought she didn't use too much exposition. I thought she got her point across fairly well. That being said, I thought it was full of gimmicks. Right. I thought, in the end, even the gender thing felt like a gimmick. Mm-hmm. And, oh, we didn't talk about sort of wrap up Anandra's a child. I was in the Matrix then, like bending the spoon. Did you catch that in the last scene when um, Breck wakes up after her trial when she thinks she's going to die? Not trial, but you know. And then she goes to meet Anandra, and Anandra's five years old. Yes, yeah. And like, she's five years old talking to her in the weird weird garden. A part of me likes that, but a part of me is also like, come on, Aunt Lucky. Right. I mean, I have to admit, the last 15 pages... I could have been anywhere reading anything. Okay, but... Because when I realized that this was going to have a sequel, I just didn't... Like, I just saw her laying the groundwork for that. Like, And I could see the people getting patted. Like, yeah, I'm going to be back on this shit. All right, here we go. <laughs> Get some more ancillaries. Oh, we're captain now. Like, oh, here comes Savarden. Like, no, I, just, I agree, like, but I will say, I the re- another reason I won't probably continue the series is because Breck is the main character, and now Breck is basically a human. Right. Um... I would like to learn more about the Prester and the Rur. Right, right. I was interested in that. And also, I do have to say, to be honest, I liked the last sentence in the most sort of... How unearned was that last sentence, though? So unearned, but I liked it in the most, like, sci-fi, epic, here we go. It made me feel, here we go. Choose my aim, take one step, and then the next. It had never been anything else. I felt it. I know. It's cheesy, but I liked it. But it's like... She wrote that line first. <laughs> You're right. Because <laughs> that had nothing to do with her presentation of Breck. Or even any, like, underlying metaphors, underli- you know, that, like, working their way through the whole thing. Had she ever once said to herself, like, choose my aim, take one step, and then the next. That hadn't even been, like, a guiding philosophy of Breck. I mean, there was that thing about how fatalistic the Ratkai were. I, I mean, yeah. I guess, but you just spent 10, 20 minutes telling me that she's not Red Kai. Oh, you're so right. You got me. You <laughs> exactly. Got me. No, I feel like, all right, we've talked it out. I, I feel like, yeah, are we missing anything? I don't think so. She was successful where a lot of other books would fail, but she failed in essential ways, especially in terms of the series and in getting me to read the next right, book. Right, So much of it, and this is a little bit of that format issue, I feel like we were talking about with the present, past, present, past. So much of it was about finding out what happened Yes. to me. That I was kind of less interested in what's going to happen. Right. I agree. I mean, the things that seem distinctive about it are so not its plot or even its individual scenes. I don't, I don't it's know. It's a gender thing. I mean, what's distinctive about it? 
Jeez. gender thing and then the she multi-place heard. thing. And the rrrr. The rrrr. <laughs> okay, yes. I think we're done with it. How many brecks out of ten do you give it? <laughs> um, out of ten brecks, I mean, what's one breck? Well, no, 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 let's do this. One breck is what we're left with right now. If you tell me that's pretty good, that's it. Sorry, that's an in-joke. Um, for who? For people who read the book. I, I mean, I hope people have made it this far. I've read the book. You're right. I'm going to give this book a seven. Okay. Interesting. I wouldn't have expected that coming from some of these. I guess... Did you think I liked it more than that? Well, I think a seven's a good score. Seven out of ten. Maybe, but to wrap this up in a nice circular way, coming to the beginning, you liked a page-turner. And you said this one kept your attention. You might not read the other ones, but you were there for the whole thing. I'm not only here to turn the page, but... It is important to me. And that's one of the reasons I gave this a 7. Are you kidding? A 7 is not a bad score. Right. What, am I going to give this an 8? No. An 8 saying, like, hey, I love this book. That's true. I'm giving it a 9.5. No, nine, you're nine not. What are you giving this book? This one gets 6.5 brecks. Okay. Out of 10. So we think it was worth about the same, but I liked it more than you. It's at least going to keep me going. We'll read some more. The things that I thought were good... And interesting here, maybe these other books might be able to explore that a little bit more. All right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to Genre Stop. Join us next time when we'll be discussing Robert Jackson Bennett's City of Stairs. Oh, and uh, just a note, after the millions we earned for our first episode, we invested that in a new microphone. So from this point on, you won't have to listen to our third host, Audio Hiss. <laughs> right, see you guys next time. Bye. Where did it go wrong?